0: This episode of Jude Talking To Me was recorded under lockdown conditions.
1: Hello, I'm Philip Simon.
0: And I'm Rachel Krieger.
1: We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Reform.
0: And I'm Orthodox. And this is the show that tries to recreate that sensation of finding yourself on the miscellaneous table at your cousin Hannah's bat mitzvah.
1: Except when we say your presence is gift enough, unlike Hannah, we really mean it.
0: Each week we'll bring you two of our favourite Jews to talk about their lives, their experiences growing up, and how much Jewishness has played a part. Are they oy vey or no way?
1: Welcome to Jew talking to me. Rachel, what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week?
0: Well, I'm going to admit to catching up on the series Big Brother's Best Shows Ever this week.
1: Oh, no, Best Shows Ever. That's, what's that, like, five-minute episode?
0: Yeah, very funny. Don't judge. I've always thought that a nice Jewish girl like me, um, actually, I've always thought that me, actually, myself, would be really great on Big Brother. I think I do really well because I'm used to being part of a big, very competitive family. And I did a gap year on Kibbutz in Israel where we had to do millions of tasks all the time. And I've just spent, weeks and weeks in lockdown with my husband and children. None of us have killed each other. I think I'd be I'd be excellent on that.
1: Right. But weren't all the main tasks and events on Friday nights?
0: I mean, yeah, that is a bit of a problem because then that guy, Marcus Bentley, the, the announcer guy, he'd have to say every week something like Rachel has been excluded from Sorry, uh, Wait, 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 hang
1: on. Sorry. Is Marcus Welsh?
0: I literally, I can't do accents. But he'd, he'd have to say something like, uh, Rachel does not have to participate in this task for religious reasons. And then uh, when the rest of the cast would find out my kosher chicken costs 10 times what their supermarket chicken costs, and it blew the entire shopping budget. There's no money for chocolate and cigarettes. I mean, they would nominate me immediately, I reckon.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, to be fair, I would love to hear Davina say, you are live on Channel 4. Please do not be chutzpah dick.
0: She's everybody's big mother isn't
1: she? We've all got our own one. What about you? Uh, It's interesting you say about all all got our own Jewish mothers. I've got a Jewish mother and a Jewish aunt, Mm -hmm. and I finally, finally did my Jewish aunt's recipe for chicken tagine. Uh, It's one of my favorite things to have whenever we go there for Friday night dinner. She is an amazing cook. But actually, when I asked her for the recipe, it was one of the most Jewish interactions, because it's clearly something she cooks a lot of. So the recipe was really vague. (laughs) Things Mm -hmm. like um, marinate the chicken in equal measures of this, this, and this. What equal, equal measures of what? Like, is it a cup? Is that a <laughs> And Then how long do you marinate it for anyway? I mean, do I just leave this chicken just sort of soaking in the bath for a week? I think mean, my favourite bit was, uh, it said, <laughs> cook at 150 degrees for as long as you have. As long as you have? Yeah. I'm like, till I die? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would probably be done by then. Probably. The, the quantities need a bit of work because actually, once we'd eaten all of the chicken, there was so much rice left over. Uh, I made it again this week, like, halved the amount of rice that I used, it made no difference. Clearly, I'm channeling my inner Jewish mother and I can only make this dish if it's enough to feed the entire street.
0: That reminds me of my grandma. Uh, If I was ever making one of our family recipes, she used to ask me exactly what time I was starting cooking. And then she would phone me at intervals, like throughout the cooking process when she thought I should be on that next stage. So she'd be like, it's 10 minutes. She should have added the salt and she'd phone me about it. And then after about maybe eight or 10 phone calls, she'd say to me, perhaps you shouldn't tell anyone it's a family recipe, just in case you're not getting it quite right. How was your tachy?
1: It was great. My aunt's an ama- amazing cook uh, and amazing aunt. Actually, I should have to say there is a brilliant story about one of her other recipes that my mum used to make all the time. For years, we called this Auntie Carol's Chicken. Uh, and then <laughs> Auntie Carol claims to have no knowledge of this recipe whatsoever.
0: This show is not just about how fantastic your aunts are, and I'm sure I mean, they she, are.
1: She is fantastic.
0: It's also about our guests. So let's bring on the first. She is a theatrical writer, a lyricist, a comedy consultant, and a speechwriter so brilliant that one of her speeches was carved on a plaque presented to former United States President Bill Clinton. It's Esty Stimler.
2: Hi. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? We're doing great. Thanks. You're way better at accents than I am. What, what kind of accent? I don't have an accent. <laughs> I'm so British. I I take that as an affront.
0: (laughs) Essie, the first question that we have to ask you really is how would you self-identify in terms of being Jewish? So what I'm saying is
2: what kind of Jew are you? Well, I don't like putting myself in a box. So can I just say I'm a joyous Jew? That is a
1: beautiful way of putting it. And as a joyous Jew, what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently?
2: I went to Kosher Kingdom, and I was a little concerned about the social distancing, because they do, they just come really close to you. So I downloaded an air horn on my iPhone. Every time somebody came too close, I deployed it, which really worked like a charm. But then I came home and I had a Zoom meeting, and I'm fiddling with my phone as one does. And I deployed it again. What was the impact on your meeting?
0: Not good, very unprofessional. Our next guest is an award winning writer, director, and producer. He's the artistic director of the Baroque Theatre Company. He's the associate director of the Canal Cafe Theatre in London, where he regularly directs News Review, which actually holds a Guinness World Record for being the longest-running live comedy show. And which is also well known to us by once starring our very own Philip Simon. So let's welcome Adam Molly. Hello. Uh, So Adam, I've got to ask you the same question that I asked Esty. What kind of a Jew are you?
3: I am a Reform agnostic Jew. I think I have a sense of ethnicity, but not necessarily religion. Nicely summed up. Uh, And someone who has been working on that for a while. (laughs)
1: As someone who has that sense of ethnicity, but not necessarily religion, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently?
3: I went to Yummy's in Mill Hill, and I got some schnitzel, uh, challah, and Israeli salad, or just salad as I like to call it. Was this for an occasion or? It was for lunch. For lunch. Yeah.
1: Lunch is always an
0: occasion. I like um, that both
1: the stories this week were about you going to kosher
3: deli type places. After we had our pre-chat last week, I was basically jonesing for schnitzel. I was outside the door waiting for them to open up. It's like you see the old men outside of pubs waiting for them to open up. There was me needing to get my, uh, my kosher deli fix.
0: I had an amazing incident recently involving schnitzel. I've had to very resentfully go dairy-free for medical purposes. And I was at one of the kosher butchers, and they just fried a big batch of schnitzel. They were trying to like sell it to everyone in the in the room and it was 11 o'clock in the morning and they offered me a free schnitzel. And I suddenly thought, I can eat that now because I don't have to wait between dairy and milk, meat anymore because I don't have dairy anymore. And I could eat a schnitzel at 11 o'clock and it would not affect my day. I can't even tell you that I thought for the first time going dairy free was worth it just for schnitzel. At
3: <laughs> schnitzel. <laughs> schnitzel
0: at 11, I recommend it.
1: We like to start all of our shows by checking in with our guests. Maybe based on how you were after our conversation, I should start with you, Adam, and, and ask the question, what's the matter, Bubala?
3: Surviving the apocalypse. It's not how I thought the apocalypse was going to be. Uh, I thought there would be horsemen and fire and brimstone, but apparently it's, it's just lockdown until, until we all lose the will to live. Which I, I, I know I should be um, sort of all woe is me about the whole thing. This is the longest period of my life I've had without working. And I've I've really
1: enjoyed it. I find that really interesting to hear from someone in the in- entertainment world. We spend so long desperately trying to get work, and then we have the, this opportunity of literally no chance of having
3: work. And people are going, love it.
2: I've never but, been busier, so I think it's amazing.
3: But also for me, it's it. It's actually been really nice psychologically because of that, because you're not doing the freelancer's dance, where's the next paycheck coming from, where the next job is, or the, all the schmoozing and the relationship building. You can just take a break, you can just have a minute to reflect, especially if you're from contract to contract, job to job to job to job, and the pressure that comes with all of that. So actually having a moment to do some gardening and spend some time at home, and all the odd jobs, there are no odd jobs left in my, in my house, I've literally done all of them.
0: You going to come around mine? <laughs> you know, I had at the true. beginning of lockdown. I had like a list of stuff I was going to do, and what I've done is come up with this idea with Philip and spend the rest of the time googling Jewish celebrities. That's that's it now. So nothing has been sorted out. Nothing is fixed. But I
1: do know who is a Jew. So, Esther, you said that you've been really busy. So maybe we should check in with you and find out what's the matter, Bubbler.
2: Now that producers have time, they're just getting everything rolling and they're commissioning work, which is exciting to know that there's a future for the industry. So I'm thrilled about that. But what's really bothering me is that I have a 27-year-old son who's not married, and I am picking up <laughs>
1: you're you're taking applications I
2: am, yeah, I am. <laughs> do you want to give him a quick plug now he's 27 he's into physical fitness i need some background music though can i <laughs> <laughs> you know like that dating stuff that you know i'll put it in <laughs> after oh thank you okay so he's 27 he's looking for a nice jewish girl possibly a boy i don't know but uh you know someone who's who's lovely and kind and sweet, and will take him out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> that was looking for? That's what you're looking for.
1: Yeah, that, that's what needs clarifying. I don't
2: know. <laughs> 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 that they ask
1: him. Really, most people come on this show because they want to plug something they're up to, maybe a book they're selling, a show they're touring. You're the only one so far that's come on trying to offload a human being
2: but then I'm more Jewish than all of them. We'll have to bring you back
0: on when he gets engaged to talk about, like, have follow-up. <laughs> Every year, Esty will come back and talk about the progress with her son. It'll be fantastic. I'd love to. Yeah, sure. Great. we we'll have baby. to do specials. The uh, Stimler baby special. I could just see it now.
1: Rachel, we could do the wedding. <gasps>
0: oh, my God. We'd so we were talking about family recipes earlier, and obviously you brought up food as well. As a Jewish mother, that makes me very happy because whenever I see anybody, doesn't matter what the time of day is, I just want to ask, have you eaten yet? Philip and I shared some of our memories. I'm wondering whether either of you have any strong memories connected to Jewish food or a Jewish food experience.
2: Esty, what about you? Well, mine is really connected to Christmas. Because uh, like any good Jewish parents, my mother used to take us, you know, me and my brothers to uh, Radio City Hall to watch the Rockettes. And in, like, in the show, okay, we would unwrap these gargantuan salami sandwiches. <laughs> and they weren't just any salami. We're talking garlic salami that was flown in from Chicago. <laughs> and Looking at everyone, looking at us, I never felt so Jewish in my whole life. What was she thinking? How, like, I'm always looking at people eating in the middle of shows and go, can't you wait? And I, I was one of them. that's how I was brought up. <laughs> what were they wrapped in? In um, tinfoil. So nothing quiet then? Nothing quiet, nothing about it was quiet. There was nothing modest or unassuming, no.
1: Did she bring enough for other people?
2: Always. I know like people are weird about sharing out
0: popcorn in the cinema, I don't know how they feel about salami sandwiches.
1: I did once go to the cinema and someone in one of the rows in front was eating a bag of lettuce. Wow. That, that,
0: I've been yeah. there with a bag of peas in the pod. Is that weirder?
1: Yes. 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 Were Very you been podding them before eating them?
2: I was podding them as I went. I have another story if you want to hear it. Okay, go on. My mom found herself in Trump Tower, I have no idea how, this is many years ago, uh, when Ivanka Trump had just married her Jewish husband, and she found herself in the elevator together with Ivanka. She turns to Ivanka and says, Ivanka, my mother's hungry. And <laughs> Ivanka <laughs> looks at her like she's nuts and says, thank you. And my mother says, Ivanka, come to my house. I teach you to make charlotte. Then... By the grace of God, the elevator doors opened, Ivanka exits before they had to call security. And I Mm -hmm. asked my mom afterwards, I said, Ma, couldn't you have found another Jewish food group that was more attractive than Charlotte? You couldn't (laughs) have asked her if she wanted to learn to make chicken soup, for example. She said, that's all I could think of. (laughs) Adam, I resident I didn't ask you about your Jewish food memories.
3: So there was the great roast potato off, which I didn't know was happening. But as a kid, apparently I was the connoisseur of roast potatoes and my grandmother's, God rest her, were always the best. And so this was a challenge to both my mother, God rest her, and all of her friends. I was very lucky to live with my grandparents and mm-hmm. one Shabbat we'd have with them and the following Shabbat would be with, with, with us. And they would sneak in different roast potatoes <laughs> during during Shabbat to see how I responded to them against my grandmother's, and I I'm, I'm proud to say hers won hands down, almost ninety nine percent of the time.
2: Thank God.
3: <laughs> yes, tell me about it. So that was like the roast potato challenge. You, you had your yeah. own. Sort of Pepsi there, were, there were houses all across Hendon and Mill Hill <laughs> making furious <laughs> roast potato making. <laughs> to, to, to fool an eight-year-old boy it's a, I didn't know anything about it thank god but yeah there was there was a whole thing going on it was Bernice Kennett whose roast potatoes were the only one that rivaled my uh, my grandmother's
0: do you want to put a link up
3: <laughs> <laughs> so do you say Bernice Kennett yeah
1: how was the relationship between Bernice and your grandparents
3: It was good. This is a long-time family relationship, going back from the kids all meeting at JFS in in the Stone Age. It was a good, strong relationship. Thankfully, my grandmother never found out that her perfect roasts were being in any way, shape or form competed with, uh, because we would definitely have had problems.
1: It sounds like there was definitely a broigus waiting to happen. Oh,
2: for, sure.
1: in yeah, yeah, for, sure. for you, it's roast potatoes. For me, it's bagel or bigel, <laughs> And <laughs> clearly, that would have been a real issue. Is that the biggest Bruges you think would have happened in your family? Or do you think there are other things going on as well? Well, no, there,
3: there, there was the smoked salmon Bruges, which <laughs> still goes on to this day, despite the fact that all the major participants have been dead for a while. And this was my, my great aunt ate all the smoked salmon before my great uncle could have any. And this, I mean, honestly, I heard about this from from when I was in uh, diapers uh, (laughs) growing up in Tel Aviv. I would have all of the legend of the smoked salmon. I've never quite understood why this has taken centre place as one of the great Brueggers of the Miglorski family. What was the occasion? You know, I don't even know that it's been that has been lost in legend. (laughs) All that remains was that she had the affront to eat all of the smoked salmon before a man could. It has haunted generations, like a curse.
0: I think all that remained was an empty plate. They used to have smoked salmon on it.
3: I imagine there
1: was also a tiny wedge of lemon that no one really liked. It was always there.
0: I use it. Really?
1: <laughs> why, why do people ruin things with lemon? I love lemon. This may not work out after all, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Esty, how about you? Is there a family broigus that you would like to get off your chest?
2: Well, there is one, uh, but I have to give you context for it. So my mom is from Transylvania, which before the war was Hungary. So she considers herself Hungarian. So as all good Jewish Hungarian women know, makeup is the be all and end all of existence. And they will tell you that makeup saved the Jews from slavery because the women made themselves look nice. They will attribute the fact that they survived the Holocaust to having worn makeup. Okay, so knowing this, my mother's sister uh, was at her grandson's bar mitzvah and a woman came over to her and wished her mazel tov. My aunt completely blocks her, ignores her, as if nobody's there. So I said to her after, I said, why didn't you just say thank you? Why did you ignore her? She looked me square in the face and she goes, what, she wasn't wearing lipstick.
0: (laughs) And did that become a th- uh, something
2: between them forever? Well, yeah, everyone knows that when they saw her, God rest her soul now, but when they saw her, they had to make sure that, you know, they were completely done up. And family lore has it that she used to wake up an hour before her husband to put on makeup before he saw her. That basically um, that
1: in, in Mrs. Maisel. She goes to bed all sort of made up until he's asleep. Oh, and then right, and yeah. Out and, yeah. And then wakes yeah. up and does exactly yeah. the same thing.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm Blood. Those
1: writers. I don't think I
2: would ever
0: love anybody enough to get up an hour early for me myself. Look nice for them. <laughs>
1: Sorry. I'm not. sure your husband of 25 years is delighted that you're still considering the option. There might be somebody else that you will love.
2: <laughs> you know.
0: As you both know, uh, my background is in theatrical comedy. That's kind of how we met. In fact, I used to be part of a Facebook group that Adam set up. It was called Adam's Angels Become the Master of Your Own Destiny. And Adam created that group and then left, almost immediately, thereby becoming the master of his own destiny. (laughs) So in this part of the show, which we've called Six Degrees of Can't Eat Bacon, we'd like to know who, apart from me, is your most interesting Jewish connection. Esty?
2: Okay, my most famous relative is Fred Lebo, who was my uncle. He's my mother's brother. And he created the New York City Marathon. And there's a statue of him in Central Park. There's also East 89th is Fred Lebo place. I miss him. He never had any kids. So we were very, very close. Um, There was no one to oust me from my position of being his favorite (laughs) and uh, yeah, that's it. Did you all have to participate in the marathon? Oh, my God. No, but we used to go every year to the finish line. We used to stand with all the mayors and and like every mayor of New York. I think besides I've, I've never been to one with de Blasio, but like Ed Koch, we used to stand with all of them at the press box and wait for the winners to come in. And my mother used to was desperate for me to be in the papers for some unknown reason. So she, she tried to like shove me in the front. One year she was successful. It was the year Alberto Salazar and Greta White won. I had a massive crush on Alberto Salazar. Anyway, so she pushes me to the front. I end up on the front page of the New York Post right there. So for the benefit of the audio, Esty just made a very, very funny face. It was like, ma. And that's that, and then how they took the photo, and it was a subject of much mirth in school the next day.
1: If anyone watching this or listening to this thinks that it must have been very difficult growing up with such a pushy Jewish mother, I uh, just remind you that Esty's son is looking
3: for a.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Adam, who is your most interesting Jewish connection?
3: A relation from eons back, Yitzchak Luria, who was a rabbi. Oh wow! Uh, and he was behind uh, Kabbalah. Uh, Uh so the the origins of that and often when we if we meet with rabbis and they they get the name they then make the connection i mean jewish mysticism is something i I don't know a huge amount about but i've seen how people respond to the family connection it has an impact so it's it's really interesting something i've been i've been reading up on
2: is he the guy who wrote the zohar yeah yeah no he's got yichas do you want to explain Yechus? Yeah, Yechus is when you're related to somebody that like pulls the whole family up.
3: And we've tried to pull the whole family down for years. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just keeps propping us up there. We're trying to get out. Do you drop the
1: name to get High holiday tickets and things?
3: Yeah, that, that, <laughs> it's really quite useful. It's really quite useful then. So that's when we go, well, you know, actually, the line of Kabbalah would, <laughs> would be very upset if we weren't allowed.
2: I wonder if it get you like a table in a kosher restaurant or
1: <laughs> I can't believe you queued for yummies when you had that yeah. in your back pocket. Exactly.
2: <laughs> in like a table and blooms, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> My biggest memory of Rabbi
0: Luria and the Zohar was being taught about it in my very ultra-Orthodox girls secondary school, uh, where we were just taught that girls didn't need to learn about Kabbalah. And uh, I wanted to come back later and shout to them, what about Madonna? She obviously needed to know.
1: With food, you've got milky and meat, and those are quite extreme. And then Parov just nestle in the middle there like the quiet kid in the back of the classroom. You are two clearly very passionate people. We're not so interested in things that people are passionate about. We want to know, what are you par of about?
2: Well, I can honestly say that I really don't care if Carol Baskin killed her husband or not. <laughs> I don't care. I, I, maybe I should, I just don't.
1: This is referring, is it to Tiger King? Yeah. Tell us about the show. What aren't you interested in?
2: Well, if she killed him by feeding him to the tigers, bad for him, good for her, I suppose. When that show came out, at one point, Joe Exotic, the, the
0: main character in Tiger King, he thought that maybe Carol Baskin had covered his shoes in sardine oil so that the tigers would be attracted to him and try and eat him which I thought was, it was fascinatingly specific. And I wondered if a Jewish Carol Baskin, I don't know if she's Jewish or not. Maybe we'll get her on the show if she is. But if, if they were trying to get rid of a Jewish person, would they paint their shoes with pickled herring? Chopped
2: liver would probably go down very well with tigers, I would assume. But the shoes would have to be like made out of chopped liver. I don't know if anyone remembers, but in my youth, They used to go to like a kiddish or an event and they would have entire structures made out of chopped liver.
0: So that we had statues of chopped liver here. I remember there was one particular kosher caterer who used to carve things out of kosher margarine. I remember They (laughs) used to be swans and that was like their hallmark of this particular caterer. And then if you happen to have a few weddings, over the course of a couple of months, all by the same caterer, you would see those swans getting slightly dingier time after time. They were not freshly carved is what I'm telling you.
1: (laughs) They weren't there for people to actually take the butter for their rolls?
0: God forbid, no, they were decorative.
1: Decorative that is, that, that is how my family brogues would start because I would absolutely assume that was meant to be used. And I would see that and go, oh, here's my color roll. Here's
2: my share. Yeah.
1: And that is how the, our family brogues
2: would Even did that with he dumped himself in a vat of salsa and then he gave all the audience member um, tortilla chips and he just walked through them and they just went like that. He was the dip. That would be so cool if you did that with herring.
1: And then there's this one woman at the back with a tiger on a leash. (laughs) Adam, how about you? Anything you're not
3: really that bothered about? Terrestrial television. Oh. Scheduling and programs that happen at a certain time and telly in general, just don't really care. I really like on demand and streaming services. These things are things I enjoy. Scheduled terrestrial television is an irrelevance.
1: Just for the benefit of anyone out there who is a BBC commissioner or anyone like that is looking, <laughs> is looking for a format as yet unseen. We do not necessarily endorse the views of our guests.
0: I love terrestrial television. We love
2: it.
1: Absolutely love it. We don't have terrestrial. We we have one of those sticks that goes in the back of the TV and you can get everything. So the scheduling thing, I think I, I would agree with you on that.
3: I like binging on box sets. This is really fun. Having that relationship with with it, which is much better than my granddad who used to circle everything in the radio times. And then we would have to follow his circled radio times schedule.
1: Oh, I miss that. My
3: grandma used to circle things in the radio times. And- if you touched my grandfather's radio times, oh my days. <laughs> Occasionally I would sort of circle in the land before time or some sort of cartoon that I was really eager to watch at that point is like, no, no boy chick. No. Yeah. The, the snooker is on there. So, so that's what we're watching I was like, okay sorry
0: well this is a show all about jewishness sd what, what's the most jewish thing
2: about you oh me i'm a theater my superpower <laughs> is that i can walk into a room and spot anyone who looks a little bit hungry and <laughs> offer them an assorted amount, like an assorted array of food from my handbag, which has to be large enough to accommodate said amount of food. So that's really very Jewish of me. Uh, I have a hard time living in Temple Fortune because there's a lot of very hungry looking women.
1: (laughs) So you are looking for people to feed and someone to marry your son. Yeah.
2: What about you, Adam? What's the
0: most Jewish thing about you?
3: Supporting Tottenham. Is, is probably the, the most Jewish thing about me, and it's like a minion every week, and it's full of disappointment and anguish and guilt. And so I think for me, it's 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 that it's uh, being a Spurs fan and the the relationship with with Tottenham and Judaism. I think is that it's actually quite a beautiful thing at times. Um, I know there's some controversy about it as well, but um, that's the most Jewish thing about me is Tottenham Hotspur Football Club.
1: What would you say the relationship is between Tottenham and Judaism?
3: it's it, predominantly the fan base which has traditionally had a very strong Jewish following uh, from immigration from Europe you had a lot of people in Stamford Hill and Tottenham and, and North London who gravitated towards Tottenham Hotspur as a, as a club I know in Manchester as well there's big Jewish support for, for say Manchester United and City in Europe Ajax, Amsterdam have, have Jewish following Roma and Italy have a Jewish connection there is a unique feel for a football club that sells bagels in, in, in the posh part of the stadium and it's unsure shamedly connected to Judaism in a way that is quite unique, actually, in British society. And I think in any society, this this, this relationship with sport, which uh, apart from the sort of Maccabi games, isn't necessarily the first thing you think about with Jews. And I know there's issues around chance, and people like David Badil have been very outspoken about that. I disagree with him completely, and I think it's about adopting an identity and yes, some of that is misunderstood, but the fact that you have this relationship with a load of people from a load of different backgrounds and yet still feel this affinity to Judaism, I think is, is actually quite a wonderful thing.
1: I once came out of a gig where i had been talking in my set about being Jewish and somebody, one of the uh, audience members came up to me afterwards and said, oh, what, what football team do you support? Oh, hang on, you're Jewish must be Tottenham (laughs) because often I think we're allowed to say things about our own religion but when you hear something like that that someone else has said to somebody does that kind of affect your thoughts on the argument about whether we should be associating Tottenham with
3: Judaism it doesn't and I'll tell you for why and if we're allowed to, to be serious for a second I think part of the problem is integration so everyone chanting Yid army There are questions to be asked about that, and that's legitimate. There's nothing wrong with having that discussion and saying, is this anti-Semitic, isn't it? The fact that Tottenham had a Jewish support that was consistently attacked with anti-Semitic chanting, and that the fan base, majority of whom aren't Jewish, adopted this and took it as a badge of honor it allows us to have a form of conversation it doesn't exclude anyone from any other background because we can discuss it in such a way that is approachable to eradicate hatred you need to have a dialogue You need need to be able to talk to people, not just have a go at them. If I can use football as a framework to talk about anti-Semitism without them feeling threatened because they clearly do feel threatened, but to actually educate and engage, I think it's a great way of being able to do that. You look at the way football has responded to cultural and social change and can impact in a way that a lot of other industries can't. So let's use it rather than shutting down debate, let's use it as an opportunity to have debate.
0: It's really interesting because we've had a few guests who've spoken about football and they've all spoken with that same huge amount of passion for what it brings them.
3: Well, it was a family event. For the men in my family, there were often times where football was the only way we communicated with each other where things happened in life as they do tragedies or emotional difficulties that are sometimes hard to express for men football became a safe outlet for that to release some attention release some emotion it was acceptable to cry at football that no one looked down on you on that and Mm In a society where men's mental health is sometimes not necessarily so easy to talk about or deal with, having that commonality of conversation often bridged gaps in in, in our personal relationships that we found really useful. The passion behind it is almost irrelevant of the sport because mm. Tottenham have been mediocre for such a long time. It's not like we're winning trophies all the time or all the rest of it.
0: It's the taking part that counts.
3: It's Yes, yes, exactly,
1: exactly. That is definitely not a chance you hear from the terraces. Well, that's nearly all we've got time for. So this is your chance to tell our lovely audience where they can find you. Uh, Normally we'd allocate 20 seconds for this, but
3: for you, 30. Uh, I can be found at Adam Morley 7, which is on Twitter, but also at Mill Hill Library, which is a charity I run called NW7 Hub. We support and run the Mill Hill Library building. We've been very badly hit by COVID. There's a big funding gap we now need to make up. So we're going to be starting campaigns to save the library. It's a a, a place of education. It's a neutral place. We want to create a venue with it. Please give us a follow and uh, look out for our campaigns.
1: We will. Thank you very much. And Esty, where can our viewers and listeners find you
2: uh you can find me on twitter at, at SD stimler and look out for all my exciting projects i have change of heart with the outstanding composer yval hofkin the attic tagline because the woman should know her place It's a feminist, gothic, black comedy musical with the genius composer, Ashley Walsh. I also have an immersive piece, which is called The Last Will and Testament of Sheila Goodwin. And I had wanted to take that to the fringe, but that's not happening now. And I also have a feminist adaptation of Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale. And if you give me a shout out on Twitter, I will shout back. I should say
0: I saw the promo of Change of Heart. I went to see it in the theater and it was absolutely fantastic. It's lovely because I've seen examples of both of your work and they've been fabulous.
1: We should also say that as busy as Esty is with those billions of projects she's got going on, she will drop them all in a heartbeat to plan a wedding.
2: Your
0: mouth could drive here. It's been enormous fun to chat to you both. And from now on, I'm always going to think of Adam as the Jew who needs to enroll in a 12-step program to overcome his addiction to schnitzel, and Esty (laughs) as the Jew who was given the opportunity to plug herself, but instead used it to promote her own child's potential (laughs) engagement opportunities.
1: As my grandmother used to say when she wanted to end my telephone calls, you must have better things to do than talk to me. And you must have better things to do than talk to us, which is a good thing. As Sadly, that's the end of this week's show. We'd like to say thank you to our guests, Esty Stimler and Adam Morley. Follow thank them you. on social media.
0: Follow us on social media at Jew Talking without the G.
1: And join us next time on Jew Talking to Me. Jew Talking to Me was hosted by me, Philip Simon.
2: And me, Rachel Krieger.
1: It was produced by Russell Balkin.
2: My son is going to kill me. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think I think my aunt is going to kill me. That's right. I, I've people. been disowned by all
3: my family, so it's fine.
0: <laughs> Excellent. It just leaves me in the show.